All right. Welcome back, everybody. So excited to do the show this week. Hope everything's going well for all of you. Uh, thanks for the uh, great feedback. Spring is on its way, man. A couple more of these storms and uh, everyone's going to be looking good. Spring's always one of my favorite times of the year. You know, going to start germinating some seeds for my garden, doing some cleanup in my yard. It's a big mess back there. The town I live in has a really fucked up rat problem. And I'm not kidding when I say this. We have more rats than Paris. And that town, it's got a notoriously bad rat problem. What we have are what you would call fruit rats. Story has it that they were attracted to all the oranges that they grew throughout Orange County. And they stuck around long after the orange groves had been cleared out. I can't grow tomatoes without losing at least half the crop. They'll take a bite out of anything. Eggplant, cucumber, squash. And I can lay out all the traps that I want, kill as many of them as I can, and they still continue to eat my stuff. So this year, I'm sticking to root vegetables, beans, peas, herbs, and chili peppers. Things they either can't get to or don't want. But back around 2010, when I realized that we had a, you know, a rat infestation around here, I decided I was going to lay down some traps. I caught one and decided to do something to deter all the other rats from eating my tomatoes. And this was pretty messed up. I built a cross out of two one-by-two-inch stakes, and I zip-tied this dead rat to the cross, kind of like Jesus. And I, my thought process was this. I figured the other rats would see their family member hanging up there or smell it and get the message. Maybe fuck off before you're next, you know? And don't ask me what I was thinking. Maybe the beers influenced the decision. Anyway, the next day, next morning, my wife was leaving for work and I hear her scream. And I run downstairs. I went outside. She's staring at me. Get that the hell out of here, she says. And don't ever do that shit again. It didn't work anyway. Those assholes still came back, chewed through a ton of stuff. I thought I'd tell you that story just so you get an idea who your host is, <laughs> who you're dealing with. <laughs> I bought some fine mesh at Home Depot a couple of years ago. I was going to wrap it around the plants, maybe keep them out that way. And the guy was helping me. He asked what it was for. And he said, you know what? Why just lay out some traps. So I told him the rat on the cross story. And he's like, dude, that's messed up. I'm like, yeah, I know. Sell me the mesh. Three more traps. All right, so look, let's talk about the obvious big news from the weekend. It's the elephant in the room. It's all anyone's been talking about. You know we're going to talk about it. This woman from Louisiana ran out of hairspray. So she used Gorilla Glue adhesive on her hair instead. And she said their hair was stuck in the same place for an entire month. And this woman went viral when she posted this video to Instagram asking for advice. What do I do? Bad, bad idea. Yo, look, my hair, it don't move. You hear what I'm telling you? It don't move. I've washed my hair 15 times and it don't move. What have you used to try to get it out? Um, we did the baby oil, we did cooking oil, 
Olive oil. She also tried washing it out with shampoo. Nothing got rid of the glue. So Tessica posted this video on TikTok, hoping for advice. Instead, she was ridiculed. If she bothered looking up Gorilla Glue on the web, she'd realize that she basically put super glue in her hair, and the only way to remove it is with acetone or alcohol, which will ruin your hair, burns your scalp. But her hair was ruined already. They use this stuff for, like, tile. I mean, it's hardcore. Okay, seriously, though, who the hell saw the score of that Super Bowl game coming? I'm sure the Tom Brady faithful did, but I sure as hell did not. That Tampa Bay defense was brutal. Kansas City never got it into the end zone, which is unheard of when Mahomes has been their quarterback. The Bucks defense rushed, sacked, intercepted, did everything that no one had been able to do to Mahomes in two years. And how good is that kid, though? He's being chased in the backfield like a cat, being chased by a pack of dogs. And just when they start to tackle him, he's fallen to the ground. He gets off these 25-yard, 40-yard missiles that hit the receivers, and they don't make the catches because they're being smothered with safeties. Defense always wins games. And it's not always fun to watch, but you got to tip your hat to their offensive line, too. Brady's not a pocket quarterback like Mahomes is. I mean, you break through Kansas City's line, and he's going to run around, get away, and either run, gaining yardage, or still get a pass off. Brady, he stands there like a statue and gets off these deep passes quickly. Now, they broke through a couple times early in the first quarter. But for most of the game, Brady had all the time he needed to do what Brady always does, which is break your heart. What won that game for the Bucks was experience. Brady knows how to make adjustments, and he made them early. Kansas City, they didn't seem to have a backup plan. They came out at halftime. They looked like the same team that played the first half. And that's how they lost. I know Tom Brady is a guy that everybody loves to hate. I get it. They associate him with Belichick and the Patriots and the cheating stuff. Set that aside for a moment, all right? Just marvel at this guy. You can hate Brady all you want, but don't deny his greatness. Seven Super Bowl rings. That's one more championship than the entire Patriots organization and the Steelers organization. He's got one more ring than Michael Jordan has, and people consider him one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And I should remind you, Brady's 43 years old. I feel for Kansas City fans, a total letdown. But, uh, hey, look, that's how I felt last year when they beat the Niners in the Super Bowl. Leaves you feeling gutted. But that's sports. You can't let it ruin your day. I'm sure you've seen that State Farm commercial with Mahomes where he's getting his hair cut in a barber shop, and all his friends have gotten the same haircut. The joke is that if you get your hair cut like Mahomes, you'll get the same special rate that he does from State Farm. Well, this is kind of strange. I think that's actually suddenly becoming real life. I'm starting to see a ton of kids with that same haircut. It's like a high fade with a bushy fro on top. It reminds me of when uh, Friends was really popular in the 90s. Remember every chick had the Jennifer Aniston haircut? Remember that? I think it was called a long bob or something. Really nice hairstyle at the time, but it went out of fashion like everything else. 
I finally went and got my hair cut. I couldn't take it any longer, man. They locked us uh, down in like December and then extended the lockdown another month, I think. I needed a haircut even before the first lockdown, but I always wait too long. I look like a poodle. I used to get a lot of shit from my friends about being meticulous about my appearance. I never gave a shit about that look. I just like to look nice. I like to smell nice. Can't stand having bad breath. I brush a lot. I chew a lot of gum. I don't do it for anybody else. I do it for me. I showed up to a beer event once in slacks, an Oxford shirt, and a sweater. They called me a metrosexual. (laughs) I'm like, hey, fuck you and your beer bellies, man. At least no one's asking me when the babies do. I think it's okay to be conscious about how you look. You only feel as good as you look sometimes. Trust me. Look, I've got my I don't give a rat's ass days. If I'm stuck in the house, I don't care. But I'm not going to present myself in public looking like I just crawled out of a mule's vagina. It's called self-respect. You know, try it sometime. And stop wearing sports jerseys with another dude's name, uh, name on it, you know. You guys walking around with someone else's last name on their jersey. If you're over 40, no. One of the things Don and I had started discussing a couple months ago was the, uh, the death of independent bookstores and how rare it is to find them anymore. And a weird thing happened a few nights ago. And I'm not sure about you, but I, I find myself searching out less serious stuff to watch on TV these days. I've had it with dramas and suspense thrillers and death. You know, especially all these crime series on Netflix. Everything's about murder and social injustice. Look, I mean, I want to laugh. Watch something uplifting, even if it's stupid, if it's sappy. So I found myself going back to rewatching these uh, old romantic comedy movies. They're nostalgic, and some of them are actually kind of entertaining. But one I don't remember watching before was You've Got Mail with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. It's not a movie for dudes, all right? But I didn't care. If it was lame, I figured I'd turn it off. Besides, Meg Ryan in the 90s? What dude didn't have a thing for Meg Ryan back then? She was so cute, it kept her from being hot. Anyway, so it turns out Ryan plays this woman. And she owns a small independent bookstore, uh, does a lot of children's books, that was handed down to her by her mother. It's a cute shop. It's got a community feel to it. Lots of children's books. And Hanks plays this cutthroat businessman who owns a chain of much larger bookstores like Barnes & Noble, B. Dalton's Crown Books. Well, he eventually pushes her out of business when he opens a store right across the street. And this whole time, they were secretly pen pals on AOL. That's how old the movie is, AOL. You remember that? And so they don't realize that, that in real life, that's who they're talking to each other on AOL. So I'm about 20 minutes into this thing, and I started to realize how much things have changed so fast. Independent bookstores got gobbled up by larger chains back then. Then these larger chains now have almost all been gobbled up by Amazon. AOL, you know, that got chewed up by broadband and the alternative ways that we started communicating like SMS and social media discussion boards and stuff. We don't have chat rooms anymore. The only chat rooms that exist now are these, you know, these porn cam girl sites. I didn't bother checking how old the movie is, but... I'd say mid-90s, so 25 years. Now, can you imagine what life might be like in another 25 years? Where are we going to get our books from then? Or books, will they even exist? Will it all go digital? 
how will we communicate? You know, we stop sending letters to each other. We email now. How long before we stop sending emails and just text? I'm not saying any of this to sound like an old person or make a depressing statement about how technology's, you know, pretty much wiped out some really cool shit. But you have to admit that for as convenient as it is, technology has wiped out some pretty cool shit. I think it's the person-to-person contact that we're going to end up missing more than anything. And we're getting a really good taste of that right now. And we've automated so many tasks, eliminated the need for personal contact, and we're never going to get that back. That's why independently owned businesses are so important to us. You're being greeted by the owner, the proprietor, you're served by these people. It's often staffed low or it's family run altogether. They want your business and they want you back. They'll remember your name. Even my brother's business, which is internet based, you're going to get excellent communication and customer service from him and businesses just like his. You want that. You just don't realize it until you get it. I mean, notice the difference between getting a coffee at a big chain versus getting one from a small, independently owned cafe. All right. When those expand, you'll see the difference there too. You just have to hope these places stay small. And take a look at these family-owned delis throughout the country, especially in New York. You're getting first-rate service. People have been shopping there for years. You're on a first-name basis. They'll talk to you. Then go to Subway or another chain like Jersey Mike's. You get teenagers making your sandwich. And some might be friendly, have a personality, but it's not the same. And look, enjoy that too, because you never know when a machine might be making your sandwich someday. I mean, hell, people aren't even going into these places now. They've got DoorDash delivering their food. I loved how Anheuser-Busch made a big deal about not advertising Budweiser in the Super Bowl. But they still, you know, end up running off half a dozen ads that had Budweiser's name in them, or at least an iteration of the Bud brand. And that new, that new non-alcoholic Budweiser Zero, that beer they came out with, You got to know that tastes like dog piss, man. Budweiser's horrible with alcohol in it. Imagine what that shit tastes like. I mean, there comes a time, look, you just have to say, all right, I'll just have water. And that's what I drank on Sunday. I drank water. And why is that so bad for some people? You know, they'll say, I get tired of drinking water. How many times you heard somebody say that? I want to follow up on that. How much water do you drink every day? Because the same people who I see using that as an excuse to drink alcohol are the same people who I never see drinking water. Oh, man, look. You know, sometimes I like to fall asleep to a little TV. All right, something mundane, just some background noise helps me sleep. And when I do this, normally I'll set a timer on my television to turn itself off in about an hour. So I did it one night this week, except I forgot to set the timer. I had ESPN on, a little sports center, puts me asleep. Well, I woke up about two, three hours later to women's tennis at a much louder volume than SportsCenter was being played at. The Australian Open is being played right now. And what I heard, what I woke up to, sounded like a mix of tennis and porn. It went something like this.
Dude, I scrambled for my remote so fast, turned the audio down as quickly as I could. I thought for sure, if my neighbors were still up, at the volume that the TV was at, there's no way they didn't think I was watching porn. This grunting thing became a trend in the early 90s. I can't remember which female tennis player it was that started doing this, but I remember tennis purists were having a problem with it. And now it seems like the vast majority of these girls are, are doing it. I don't think Serena does it or Osaka, but every highlight I've seen lately has at least one girl making noises that you normally only hear when women, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't have to tell you. <laughs> yeah, well. That's good to see fans back in the stands in sports, though. Not a lot. All spaced out. Masks, mandatory. But it's nice. Starting to feel normal. I had a friend. who I'm, I'm not going to call him out. I don't know about this guy. He said something pretty disturbing about the Super Bowl. They had a female as part of their officiating team for the game. And she has a resume, all right? She's definitely qualified to be there. And she did a great job. As always, you know, I'm happy to see things change in a positive direction. Whenever women are given a chance to do something only men have been doing for centuries, I see it as a step forward for all of us. Well, he didn't. He says, uh, I don't get it. She wants to do a man's job? Women wants to do men's, men's jobs? I've never seen them mowing lawns. I don't see women working construction or becoming a handyman. They always pick the easy jobs. As if officiating the Super Bowl in front of millions of people on national television is easy. I used to get into heated arguments with this dude about stuff like this. Especially when women would run for public office, like governor, president, stuff like that. And he'll deny his chauvinism when you call him out on it. And I've, I've got, we've mixed it up in the past, but there's just no getting through to people like that. This is the same guy, though, who will get upset when the foursome in front of us on the golf course has a woman, or worse, two women in it. Why can't they play somewhere else? <laughs> like where exactly? I asked him that. You know any female-only golf courses? And if they had one, he'd be crying sexism. I'd love to have a partner who golfed with me. Talk about sharing quality time together. Now, one time this foursome in front of us had a woman in it. And she was crushing ass out there. And I asked him if, I, if he thought he could beat her. He says, well, if she wasn't hitting off the red tees. I said, oh, yeah, those red tees. That's just keeping her straight down the fairway every time. I watched this woman chip and putt. She was exceptional, up and down all day. Meanwhile, he's in the bushes. It reminds me of when Bobby Riggs challenged Billie Jean King to a tennis match in the 70s, Battle of the Sexes. I was too young to remember this, but I... Saw a bunch of replays on it. They did a documentary on ESPN. King beat him in three sets. And even after she beat him, men were saying she only beat him because she was younger. She was like 25 years younger than he was. She was lobbing these short balls over the net at him. He couldn't get to him because of his age. That was her excuse. Idiots. You remember that line from George Carlin? He said he'd love to see a female president. There'd be no more war but we'd have serious negotiations every 30 days. Well, this brings up a bigger question. Why are some men so insecure with their masculinity that they overdo it? You've seen these guys. Maybe you even know a few. They're the ones who drive big monster-sized trucks, high speeds, they tailgate people, alpha male bullshit stickers on the back window, 
American flag, a gun, favorite sports team, all that hoorah badass shit. Everybody should know this guy's a badass who shouldn't be fucked with. They wear tank tops or medium-sized shirts that cling to their skin so the muscles are all popping out. These are the guys who always try to one-up you. Doesn't matter what you do, what you say. They've either done it already, done it better, or will try to do it better just to show you how much more of a man he is compared to you. Real men don't do this. Real men support other men. They applaud their achievements. Like Tom Brady. Applaud the guy. He's a stud. They're happy when they see their friends do well. They listen more than they talk. I talk a lot, though. <laughs> listen to me. And for any alpha male macho motherfuckers out there who are trying so hard to keep people from thinking that you're gay as if that's somehow a bad thing. I know some gay men who are way more masculine than shitheads like you. And confidence is not something you show in the way that these guys do it. That's not confidence. It's weakness. And the more you blast the message that you're an alpha male, the less of an alpha male you show everyone that you really are. And what the hell is that anyway? Anytime I meet someone new, guys will bring a friend in who I've never met before. This guy starts dominating the conversation. I make a decision early not to talk to him. I check out. Now, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can in the first few chapters. I know you know what I'm talking about, too. People are like books. They always look great on the outside. Promising, right? First chapter, promising. But it starts to take a massive dump after a while because there's no substance. When I start a book like that, I'll jump to the last chapter, see how it ends, put it down. The difference is, with assholes like this, I don't give a shit how it ends. I just want out. The guys like this will argue anything. They won't give up. Even if they know they're obviously losing the argument, they'll argue with me about this, in fact. Ah, Fangul. Have a nice life. Yeah, so this guy was at the Super Bowl, and he noticed this old guy sitting next to an empty seat. So he asked the guy about it. The old man says, uh, yeah, it was my best friend's, but he passed away. Oh, man, the guy says, I'm really sorry to hear that. But I'm kind of surprised that none of your other friends or family would jump at the chance to take that ticket. It's a Super Bowl, you know? He says, yeah, I know, but they all insisted on going to the funeral instead. That's a horrible joke, man. I thought it was timely. I'll tell you something, though. We need more laughs and less serious shit. A bunch of years ago, I, I just gave up on looking forward to Super Bowl ads. They just started to fall flat. Now, this year had a few funny spots, but way too much serious stuff. I was getting bummed out. I understand these companies are trying to be compassionate. They're making a social statement, but dude, we're coming up on one full year of total sadness and despair. Throw us a bone. Put smiles on our faces. That 60-second spot that Bruce Springsteen did for Jeep, the hell was that? Made me want to jump off a cliff. We're watching the Super Bowl as a distraction from the realities of the horror show going on around us. We got to sit through 60 seconds of that sappy shit? And the Wayne's World ad, oh my God, the fuck was that? I appreciate the effort to be funny, okay? That was downright painful to watch. I don't need to be reminded that Garth and Wayne are old men now. It was tragic. Ten more years are doing a commercial for the pens. But one thing I've never really been able to stomach 
is gambling. I'll make small $1 wagers with my brother or my friends on stupid stuff. We call them gentlemen's bets. They're a dollar. They're painless. It doesn't hurt if you lose. I love playing poker, but I don't like buying in for, you know, $20, $50, $100, whatever these guys like to do. For a lot of people, the risk of losing or winning money is what makes poker fun. For me, my thrill is having the best hand, winning. I don't care about the money. Losing money on a hand or losing honest money on a sporting event is a bummer. It makes having watched the game even less fun for me. What I saw going on around the Super Bowl this year was seriously one of the grossest displays of gambling addiction that I think I've ever seen in my life. I can't recall which tweet that I read, but it had to do with all the side bets on the Super Bowl. And everybody started posting screenshots. It's not enough for these guys to just to bet on the game. Now, they're going to bet on shit normal people wouldn't even think you could bet on. Like the coin toss. You figure, it's a 50-50 chance on whether it'll be heads or tails, right? No, apparently not. They've run the stats on this stuff, and they actually have a line on the toss. They had bets on Amanda Gorman's poem and what the first word of the poem would be. Who bets on that? How many times will the guys who hold the chain markers on the side, how many times will they come out on the field to take a measurement? Sarah Thomas, the first female official, lots of bets on her. And some were, of course, misogynistic. But you could bet whether or not she'd wear her ponytail up or down. There was a bet on whether or not Brady would attempt to high-five an official, which he did. (laughs) I thought that was great. If these guys were sharing screen grabs of all their bets, I could not believe what I was seeing. One guy put $30,000 on the coin toss. There were all these bets on first scoring play, how many first downs each team would get, how long the game would take to play. Every relatively simple thing you could think of. These guys were posting all their entire line of bets and the amount of money being gambled was staggering. $45,000 total from one dude. Another guy had $20,000 uh, uh, bets with three separate sports books. I know it's popular, especially now that it's legal in so many states, but dude, come on. Guys putting up six figures on bets on a single game. It's all designed to take your money. The house will always win. And even when it doesn't, they know you're coming back to bet some more and they'll get it all back. And then some. Well, they say it's a disease like any other addiction. And boy, it's a clear sign of that's a definite disease. What is the adrenaline rush that people get when they win bets like this? They say it's a, it's a rush. I've never felt it. Does it make you feel smarter than everybody? Or does it make you feel smarter than the casino? You have no control over the game. You're not out there making a difference. You're guessing. You're going with your gut. It's chance, and you're playing with hard-earned money. I watched this documentary series on Showtime. It's called Action. Really good series. It covered sports betting in Vegas, Atlantic City, and now the internet, obviously. It was gross to watch, but they laid it out there. Very few people can handicap games consistently and bring home enough money to make a decent living. You need to be scientific about it. You really need to know what you're doing. You can't guess or go with your gut. 
or make emotional bets. It's hard. Las Vegas is a city built on broken dreams. I've been there a lot. I always get talked into going there. And the only time I can say I had a great time in that city had nothing to do with gambling or Vegas, really. I went there to see a rock concert at the Hard Rock. Best heavy metal show I've ever seen in my life. No gambling, just the concert, dining, went home. Every other experience in that town left me feeling dirty and hopeless for a lot of people. I've watched people lose big money before at blackjack tables, poker, and often inside of sports books. You see these guys gutted after a loss. Some of them are crying. You don't know how much money they lost. Maybe that was it for them. Then they start talking to their friends how they're going to chase the money by betting on another game so they can win their money back. Just let me get even. I'll go home. That's when you know you're in trouble. I don't know if Vegas made or lost money after Sunday's game. The line was Kansas City minus three. So if you took Tampa and those points, which you didn't even need, you took the house's money. I don't care how it ended for Vegas. I just will never understand people who gamble like that with the amount of money I saw being pissed away. Wow, Phil, ending this one on a depressing note. (laughs) Uh, Wait, here, I'll make it better. All right, that's my show. Thanks for listening. Music in this episode from LS Dream. I hope you all have a great week. Until next time, I'm Phil. This has been Inane. Cheers, everybody.